podcast for the dyslexic community we're still hosting it in a closet mm-hmm i'm reed and over there in her own closet i'm drew we are obviously fellow dyslexics or melons as we like to call them mm-hmm. today's mm-hmm. topic for this episode is going to be on accommodation and modification these are two words that are thrown out a lot in education when it comes to educating the neurodiverse. And a lot of people get them a little bit confused and don't necessarily understand the importance of the two and their differences. So let's dive into this. Yep. All right. Accommodations are adjustments made to a student so they can demonstrate their abilities without lowering learning or expectations and without changing what's being measured. The purpose of accommodations is to to ensure equal access to a full schooling experience for all students, even ones with learning disabilities like dyslexia and other neurodiversities. So an example of this would be providing text in an audio format when you're learning things like history, biology, or, you know, your ELS classes. Having all this large text condensed down into a format that we're able to listen to is an accommodation, not a modification. It's the same information coming in. It's the same information that we're learning. It's just done in a different format for our needs. Yes. Accommodations do not change the context of instruction. It doesn't give students an unfair advantage or change the skill or knowledge that's being, you know, measured. Accommodations make it possible for students like us with dyslexia to demonstrate their learning without being hindered by the disability that we have. It's a proper way of measuring if you're learning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're getting the same information as everybody else, but in a way that helps us take it in better. Without accommodations, you're actually not getting the proper measurement of a neurodiverse person's abilities, knowledge, and intelligence. You're also not giving them the ability to learn it as well. That's true too. You're hindering their, their ability to learn it and you're not giving them credit for the stuff they might know because, well, you took too long on the test. Yeah, you're not you're not doing it the way you're supposed to. But uh, So this is kind of like why we're talking about it. We will tangent for a second. Our parents have always had a hard time getting the schools to understand that these accommodations and modifications that come along with your diagnosis are extremely important to follow. And there's a reason that they're written into someone's IEP or 504 plan. It's needed for us to be educated correctly and to be correctly measured in our education. A lot of people have a misconception that accommodations mean advantage over when or easier yeah, learning. Learning. Yeah. When it doesn't mean that at all. No. Okay. Tangent over. We'll continue on with our pre-written script. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um so like that with assessments testing accommodations are changing in that assessment materials Uh, for example it would be maybe giving somebody a larger print or extended time or a separate room or a reader it's not making it easier it's like we said giving proper accommodations that are needed and we will get into the longer time thing 
because I know that someone out there is going to say, historically, it's proven that if you have longer time, it doesn't help you any more than if you had the same amount of time as a regular student. And longer time itself does not help you more, no, but by learning these accommodations, longer time gives us the ability to implement our learning strategies. So as a dyslexic person, I go through, or I did go through school, learning all of these strategies to help mitigate my dyslexia, the extra time on a test is to allow me to implement those strategies. And with a a tangent (laughs) or experience of mine, um, when I went to BYU-Idaho, they had, um, in the testing center, they did have the accommodation of having a reader there for me to have the test read to me. We'd go into a separate room and the reader would read the test to me. And that was typical. It's what I did all through high school as well, you know, and everything. Um, But my last year at BYU-Idaho, they changed it. And they had the test pre-read onto a tape that I could take into that same room with me by myself. And just having that freedom of, I got to take the test alone. I had my own tape so I could adjust how fast or how slow I went through the tests. I didn't feel like I had that person sitting there judging me, which is an aspect. Just, I know, you know, yeah. it's just a thing. It's just an aspect. You can't get rid of it. It's just there. They don't mean to be judging or they don't, but it, it, you, you have to feel it. You just do. Yeah. You don't have to, but you just do. So it was those accommodations, just the stress relief. I didn't realize how stressed it was making me to have that other person in the room with me. And just to have that room to myself. A night and day difference. I, I can't. Yeah. Night and day difference. I didn't even realize how bad it was. Anyway. That's okay. It's, it's all irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So without accommodations, an assessment may not actually accurately represent the knowledge and skills that a student has because of their learning disability. Yeah. So an accommodation doesn't change the item or the test validity. It just is, like we keep saying, a proper measurement or helping to find a proper measurement for that student. We're going to go over modifications and how they differ from accommodations. So accommodations are kind of like what we were just talking about. Modifications do change the curriculum. So modifications to content homework assignments or uh, assignments in school change the nature of instruction that is happening in the classroom. And it is different than an accommodation. These modifications are different. The upside of a modification is that by doing things a little differently, it can lead to an advantage of allowing more interaction with other students in the classroom and a different way of going about learning it. But that's where people always get confused. They're always like, Accommodation means that you're changing the classroom for everyone. No, actually, a modification would be changing the curriculum, and it's not necessarily for everyone. An accommodation is just something that helps someone with a disability perform at the same level as everyone else, or at least be able to be tested for the same level as everyone else. So an example of a modification for a homework assignment might be giving that student that has a harder time with math, instead of giving them a hard homework assignment where you're kind of continuously learning at home, you're learning the same thing that you learned in class instead. You're given an easier assignment instead of, you know, sometimes they give you the homework to go home and continue um, educating yourself. This one is kind of working on what you did in the same day. Reinforcing the information a little harder 
not re not learning new information, but reinforcing information a little bit more. Some students need that repetition. Yeah, and that's actually our next thing is another um, classic modification is doing that, having um, more reinforcement of that certain strategy, whatever it may be. If it's, again, my examples here are math because this is what my research has shown me, so it's easier to go off of like those examples, right? But keeping students in a, you know, a lower math class until they're able to go up higher or having somebody um, specifically help that student, those are all technically modifications because you're changing that student's curriculum. If you're getting held back in your math, that's changing of a curriculum. It's not a accommodation. It's a modification. Huh. Interesting. I never thought about that. That Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's why we're talking about the differences, because people tend to get them confused. And um, I understand why people are wary about them, but mm -hmm. if they're used properly and used the way they're supposed to be used, like under the IEPs and things like that, they don't hurt anybody in the classroom. It's just a helping thing to the people that need it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so how do we choose between getting a modification or an accommodation? Well, it's kind of easier than you think, sort of. This is where your IEP or 504 plan comes in. Choosing between an accommodation or a modification is a decision critical for future education choices. Modification changes the instruction and content and knowledge of the assignment or, you know, test, like we said, and an accommodation doesn't change it. So a student's IEP team is the the, the team responsible for making these formal decisions related to accommodations or modifications if needed. Modifications only happen if they are absolutely needed. Accommodations happen because they are needed. Yeah. Remember that your IEP and your 504 plan are protected under the IDEAS Act. Um, it was re-initiated or re-upped in 2016, so still protected under that act. You're supposed to be getting in these tests and these assessments that you're getting done for your IEP. It's supposed to be testing to see how your accommodations are working for you. And if there's different accommodations that need to be happening or if there are ones that can be taken away because you actually don't need them. Yeah, because, yeah, things evolve and change and you learn more about your needs. Yeah, no, things do evolve and change. I started out with an accommodation of having um, double time. I had two time on my tests. And I don't have double time. I just have half time now, not double. Cool. Uh, or did. That's like was one of the changes throughout my IEP. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So you do hopefully have a team of people at your school helping you figure out what these um, accommodations should be and how to implement them and, and change them up. Uh, I say hopefully because it's not historically what always happens, but it is what should happen. There's mm -hmm. even a law. <laughs> okay. There is. So how do we go about choosing accommodations wisely and purposefully? Accommodations are only helpful if a student knows how to use them effectively, which is... Very important. Yeah. Very important. Each accommodation needs to be matched to the individual student's needs. Talked about that a little bit beforehand. It's still relevant now. So the way we go about this is kind of we provide evidence of choices for accommodation requests. Um, I Like we said, that you have a team for your IEP, and they kind of... Your first IEP... Well, your first year on an IEP, it's kind of like a shot in the dark. They're seeing what accommodations work for you. And then as you get older and as you start doing more assessments and things like that, 
your accommodations start being tailored more towards you as an individual student, which is extremely helpful because not all students are the same, not all neurodiversities are the same, not two dyslexics are the same. Mm-mm. Manifest in different ways. It's stronger in different ways. Some mm-hmm. dyslexics have uh, other things that go along with it that um, affect their dyslexia. Anyways, yeah. Yeah. It's really relevant and necessary to be making sure that these accommodations are working for you as a student or for your kid as a student, whoever it may be that has this that you're helping out. Like I said earlier, this whole idea of like extra time alone rarely provides any sort of performance enhancement for students that are dyslexic or or even without a learning disability. We know that. But not every student needs or benefits from extra time. We know that too. The idea here is that you're not given extra time to, like I said, slow move stuff. You're given extra time to implement the other training aspects you've had from the dyslexia program you're going through. Extended time provides students with time to use strategies needed to accomplish tasks that are inherently difficult for them, like decoding, like we have a harder time with, or rereading the same text over again because you need to have it be able to be comprehensible. That's a thing for a lot of dyslexics or even other neurodiversities for that go with reading that sometimes you read an entire page and you didn't take it in for whatever reason that's part of the problem you just didn't take it in so you have to read it like three or four times and that is eating into your test time so you need the extra time to reread those pages so you can take in the information just like everybody else yeah so this idea of giving kids and we keep like reeling this extra time because it's the one a lot of people like to uh talk about the most but for the students that get the extra time Half of, like, their accommodations that they should be getting with their IEP is to learn how to use the extra time wisely. Um, If they don't know how to use the strategies effectively, they're not going to help them. Yeah. Uh, That's something that my school really hounded on was this idea of using your strategies and knowing what to do. Practice is key to effectively using accommodations, and accommodations should be learned and integrated into classrooms before we start doing assessment tests. You have to learn it and practice it before you're able to get tested on if this is working for you. So um, we will talk about the four major things that fall under accommodation. Obviously, we keep hounding time, but there's a couple of other things. First one is going to be presentation. Drew, do you want to read presentation? Presentational accommodations allows a student to access instructional materials in a way that does not require them to read standard print presented in a standard visual format. So an example of presentation accommodations are verbal instructions instead of writing it on a whiteboard, repetition of instructions. If you give me six steps to do and I forget at four, tell me the last two. It's really helpful. A lot of people for some reason don't do that. Um, I already told you those. Yeah, giving text or instructions in an audio format instead of a visual format or some people do better with having uh, larger text in general or a different font Um, it doesn't help me at all I'm still but other people get less uh, bogged down by the things around them they can pull it out better if it's a bigger font and things like that or um, another thing would be fewer items per page to read so that way you don't get uh overstimulated on all the stuff that's happening. That kind of goes under the larger font thing too. Um, Having things like double space helps stuff like that. Visual prompts Mm -hmm. or cues can 
also go underneath this, and that would be things like uh, highlighting specific text that needs to be, uh, that's important. A different way of taking like an alternative answer sheet, if you have an answer sheet for a dyslexic kid and has a lot of writing or reading, you know, finding a different way around that for them. Some forms of information are better learned through uh, songs or poems, like uh, it's how you learn a lot of your math facts or, uh, you know, certain science stuff. A lot of these. I was actually thinking science space. There was a there was a taste that we used to get out of the Warsaw Library that was um all about space songs and poems. It was yeah. fun. So um, accommodations, presentation accommodations in an assignment are things like being able to use a calculator. Yeah, because it's just a different way of doing the math versus writing it down and having mm-hmm. the. If you have this calcula, you get. I've talked about this a little bit before. Your visual representation of what's happening on the page and what's happening in your head is a part of what is uh, messing you up. So having a calculator so you're not physically writing it down can help. Things like speech-to-text software, which is uh, like a dragon actually speaking or, you know, stuff like that. Text-to-speech software, which is like Kurzweil or the plugin that I use for Chrome that reads to me. Those are all accommodations that are fine to have. A spell checker, I use Grammarly. Um, And then like a grammar checker, which is the same thing as a spell checker, Grammarly. So all of those are appropriate accommodations for presentational needs. And obviously, uh, certain things, if you're testing for grammar in particular... Obviously, you wouldn't give that accommodation because you're testing for that specifically, you know? Like, if you want to see me fail at grammar, that's fine. Cool. But give me that accommodation for grammar and things like that if I'm writing a history paper or or something like that. Because that you're not testing me on my commas if I'm writing a history paper. You're testing me on my knowledge of the history assignment. So Thanks. it's mm-hmm. uh, appropriate appropriate accommodations for appropriate tests. That's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Yep. Our next one. Response accommodations allow a student alternative ways to complete assignments and or tests. A student can show their knowledge and understanding through alternate skills, or they can use um, electric organizers to help keep themselves on track so they can keep their assignments and stuff scheduled. That's accommodation they might need. Interesting. This is, um, and this is, so when I was at BYU-Idaho, um, this was actually in a, um, a thing that this teacher did not just for me but it was a belief that he had and I that that sometimes students choke in tests tests are not the best way to necessarily judge someone's knowledge and I studied really hard for this test it was a um uh, it was a history test uh can't remember exactly which history it was I think it was like ancient Rome or Greece anyways um I didn't do as well on it as I would have liked to have done and I had a certain grade I wanted to get in the class and he said that you don't like your grade, you can come to his office and discuss the topic with him, discuss what we had learned in class with him. And if we can prove that we understand the knowledge, he'd up our grade. And I got my grade from a 75 to a 92. Yeah. So it's, it is stuff like that, those types of accommodations. It's uh, being able to give verbal dictation for answers or, um, things like there's this really cool pen that while you write it will record what when you're talking or what the lecture is going on that's another thing that can happen 
even simple things like being able to mark your answers in a workbook versus having to go to a separate sheet and mark it there. That's another form, having a smaller uh, like work area, less, less papers to be filing through. I mean, these accommodations are um, vast. And if you teach people what the accommodations are that are out there from a young age, that they start learning how to use these things, they just take them into adulthood and it just gives them... More ways so to, yeah, more ways to manage. Mm-hmm. Our next one is uh, settings. So this is really easy. Um, I'll just talk to you about this one. A lot of, a very common accommodation is around settings in classrooms. So it's things like having either individual work with a educator or having smaller groups. So like for my um, reading program, my little program there, we actually had a max of how many kids could be in the classroom at once. And I think it was three was allowed to be in a, a reading room at once because it's you need the one-on-one work when you're doing that type of intensive tutoring. So another thing would be to do to reduce uh, visual or audio distractions that can be like um, having a certain like the little blinders you put up on your desk so you can't see anybody, that can be a simple simple thing there. Or going into an entire separate room and um, having your test done in a different room to help mitigate stress or to help mitigate distraction. Or like we said, to help you, normally if you're put into a different room, you're also given extra time. So it's to help you implement your strategies without having to have a lot of people in the room around you while you're trying to do it. Um, another thing for this, really fun is alternative furniture arrangement and things like that. So a very common thing people will do, especially if like you have a group of ADHD kids, mm-hmm. is they'll give them those little balls to sit on instead of chairs. The balls with the, with the like four little feet? Well, some, when we were younger, yeah, the younger kids had the balls that you sat on with like udders, but... Yeah, that's what I was picturing. <laughs> yeah, as you get older, the balls kind of lost their udders. Um, ah. Yeah, and then obviously our last one is extended time or scheduling in general. So we talk about extended time for tests, but scheduling in general is really necessary. Being able to um, implement a, like even a half an hour into a children's school day. So they're able to work one-on-one on a, on an assignment that may be having a harder time on or something like that. You know, having that catch-up class or that catch-up time actually having that implemented in there another really smart thing to do under like time and scheduling is having breaks so having a separate room is one thing to help but also you can you get over overstimulated you get frustrated and at a certain point you're no longer taking in the information you should be so it's just better to get up and walk around for five minutes and come back and you'll be 10 times better at what you're trying to learn and your educator is going to be 10 times less frustrated another thing and I'll, like the last thing of this is just changing up orders of things sometimes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So having a schedule is really, really good, but it can also become monotonous. So having the ability to have some flexibility to keep it uh, interesting and your brain wanting to work, you know, it's just it's stuff like that. It's learning what works best for each individual kid and then teaching it to them through school so they're able to know how they work and how to implement their accommodations. Once you get out of school, or at least once you get out of grade school, these accommodations and things like that that mm-hmm. we're talking about, if you teach it from a young age, you are able to use it in when you go to college. You're able to use it for work and at work. 
you're able to use it just in your general day-to-day life of understanding what you need to succeed. It's understanding yourself to get better. Understanding yourself so you know what you need to do to succeed and knowing what you need to do to um, advocate for what you know you need. Yeah. Yeah. Learning how to advocate is a very big thing and learning that you should be advocating Mm-hmm. So I have advocated for myself throughout all my life because you have to, um, the way we grew up, a lot of people don't understand neurodiversities, don't understand dyslexia in general, and they have two cents about it. So you have to learn how to advocate for yourself and you have to learn that even if they don't understand the importance of this advocation and these accommodations is extremely important and you have to continue doing it. You have to continue doing it. Mm-hmm. In general, accommodations are not substitutes for uh, appropriate intervention and remediation for having these neurodiversities. And giving accommodations, which is lovely in schools, don't tackle the actual issue of my neurodiversity. It just gives me the ability to learn and to show that I am learning in a different way. You still need to have your reading programs. You still need to have your one-on-one with your teacher but I think through this script we just learned why that is important yes definitely Hmm? it was reinforced for me anyway so it's up to families and each individual student and their team that works on their IEP to explore all the alternative ways of providing accommodations and possibly modifications to best educate this student and and give them the best ability to succeed it's basically all I have. Anything you'd like to add to this, Drew? No. I think you said it all, and I contributed. Yes. No, I, think, I, I, I think we covered it. Anything else would just be... Ranting. Mm-hmm. Which I'm totally capable of doing, but... Yes, totally. Okay. So, you can like, leave a review, and subscribe to this lovely little podcast of mine. Um, depending on where you are, you have different options. So take action and tell me that you like me or tell me that you hate me because I'm listening either way. Yeah, we're here either way. Yeah. You can head over to our Instagram at melons.podcast on the Instagrams. It's also melons.podcast. Pretty sure I say this every time. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to continue saying it until every single one of you is over there. Liking you, and subscribing. Yes. If you message me there on Instagram at melons.podcast, I will message you back. Um, we take suggestions for topics. We take funny little anecdotes. Uh, it's been nice just to see who we're helping just by talking into a void and um, the interesting things that I'm getting over there. It's just like you don't know you don't know that there's more people like you until you start telling people that you're this way, I guess. So here we are. And that is, uh, that's part of what we're doing here, too. We're uh, trying to create a community, and we love seeing it grow. We do. So let's continue doing it. Definitely. As always, Melons, be different and be kind.